Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Aisha Armstrong on the line. Aisha, how are you? I am great. How are you doing, Michael? I am awesome. Been looking forward to this conversation for a while and just to you know lay the framework for it. I'm coming off of a two month sabbatical. So I took two months off from nice. work. And so it's like, yeah, it was, I, I scheduled it a long, long time ago. It wasn't a case where it's like, I'm just going to take two months off. I wish it was that easy, but no, there was a lot of planning, configuration, and all kinds of other things. So getting back to it, going, okay, where's my headphones? You know, where, where's where? It's like, okay, do I have everything? Okay, looking around. Okay, hardwire connection. Yep, we're all good. So, um, you know, firing back up the studio was uh, a, a little clunky in the beginning, but I did it early this morning. I'm like, let's not do this 10 minutes before our chat. So I appreciate you being. Uh, the first guest after my little break. So, uh, and, and I think it's important. And you know, obviously, we'll frame that into the work you do. But why don't you share a little bit about yourself and, and the work you do with the audience? Sure. Yeah. So, um, my company's called Vectorus. Uh, and it's a made up word. Some people pronounce it Vectaris, but it's actually pronounced Vectorus. Uh, and we are a boutique product innovation consulting firm. Uh, and we're Nominally headquartered in Cincinnati, Ohio, but I don't know if that really matters anymore, like where you're headquartered. Uh, And our specialty is working with uh, B2B services companies who have some kind of intellectual property that they want to monetize or make into a product. Uh, And usually those organizations want to use technology as part of it. Uh, And they don't have the skills internally to figure out, like, is there a market for this product? How should we best design and build it? How do we go to market with it? Um, Because they've been in the business of providing services, not products. Uh, So uh, it's usually helpful for them to work uh, with outside experts as they're getting started. And that's the role that we play. Um, I've had this uh, consultancy now for three years. Uh, And prior to that, I spent my career in product development, management, leadership roles for information services companies, uh, media companies, uh, managing data as a service products, and other types of information services products. Well, your background definitely helps a lot. And I think as we kind of talked a little bit in the pre-show, entrepreneurs and new business owners and all the likes will basically set up their business and they have an idea of what they want to do, but they don't necessarily know all that they can do. And it's the fishbowl effect. We can only see what we are thinking of. We don't necessarily look outside of the box and bringing in outside people that have, you know, a ton of experience like yourself and your team helps, you know, create some ideas. Like, well, did you think about this? Did you think about that? And real quick, before we get back into that conversation, I mean, you're off I-75. So normally in in pre-COVID days, that was actually a really good location, you know, because you can get, you know, north and south and not too far to get on other interstates to go all throughout the country. But anymore, you can be in Dubai or you can be in Detroit. It really doesn't matter what, you know, we all work through these Zoom lenses anymore. So, uh, but, you know, going back to the, the conversation, I, I think it's 
incredibly important uh, for organizations that are just starting, you know, to bring in some help and say, okay, what do I have? You know, they, I, as in my business, for example, I, you know, my business looks a lot different now than it did when it was percolating in my head. You know, several years ago, I'm like, okay, what do I need to do with this? So it's changed quite a bit because I talked with people, I looked at opportunities, I looked for things that uh, would would work out well for me, and I'm, I'm glad that I did because if I would have stuck with just what I was going to do, it really would have limited uh, my ability to do what I do today. Totally, yes. And when we work with organizations, one of the things we're trying to do to help them with that, Michael, is teach them a test and learn mindset. Uh, and that means you've got ideas, perhaps, of things that you know your clients might be interested in, your customers might want. Um, go out and test them and run tiny little tests that don't cost you a lot of money uh, to see if they're interested, to see, you know, can you make any money doing this, um, to see, you know, how competitive the market might be. Uh, and just trying to get in that kind of iterative test and learn, uh, lean startup uh, kind of uh, mindset, I think is really important when growing a business or innovating a business. Some mistakes that I've seen a lot of my counterparts do uh, in the solopreneur and new entrepreneur space is they'll bring on all kinds of different things. So they're going to try to do too much. And again, I think not using your services is where is a big mistake because it would have helped a lot of those companies avoid doing all of these things that really wasn't in their wheelhouse, didn't make sense. It actually confused their customers going, okay, what do you do? You know, and it's, it's like, it's not as clear. You're saying you're doing this, but the work you're doing doesn't seem to be necessarily in alignment with just that particular lane. So when clients or potential clients come to you, you know, what are some common things they bring to the table that you have to kind of, I hate to say the word correct, but maybe reframe what they're looking at uh, again, because oftentimes they don't know what they really need. Yeah, so that's that's a um, a good question. One of the things that we see a lot of are so again, most of our clients have some type of intellectual property, and they're trying to monetize it. So it could be like a data set, uh, it could be an algorithm, uh, it could be a, a method, uh, a methodology, um, a framework, and and what they're trying to do is is monetize it in some way. Um, and one of the first things we ask them is what customer problem does this solve? Because often what I see people uh, in organizations do is like they have this asset and it's like a, a solution in search of a problem. But what you really want to do is you want to start with what's the customer need and then does this asset, does this solution actually fit the need. Um, and ideally, what we're looking for are customer problems that are both urgent, things that people have to take action on in the next, let's say, 12 months, and they're problems that are expensive, have a real pain point, because that means that customers are likely to put resources against solving the problem. Like They'll actually pay money for it. So uh, a mistake I often see is just you know, a solution in search of a problem that doesn't exist. You know, they're trying to create a problem instead of you know basically taking care of the needs of the customer at this point. And 
organizations I've spoke with over the last 19 months, uh, one of the things that I would tell them is make sure you don't cut back on your conversations with your customers. Ask them what they need from you now. Yes, you've been making this thing or providing this service for four or five years for this company. It's awesome. What do they need right now in this pandemic? Because that could be completely different than what you've been doing for them. Because maybe those things you've been doing, they don't need that right now, but they need something else. And again, that's like you said, you're looking for problems to solve that are painfully obvious to the client. And they're like, oh, this, if we don't address this, this could be catastrophic to our organization. Uh, it could be, you know, use an example of an automotive supplier that had rapid growth and they acquired a new warehouse and they're ramping up. And of course, there's a lot of investment in those early days before the revenue necessarily comes in from the client. Well, the client, you know, changed gears a bit and all of a sudden they don't necessarily need as much of that warehouse as they originally thought. So now they're going, hmm, now what? Well, you've got capacity. Look for another client that you could serve and solve their problems. Utilize some of the resources that you have that aren't being allocated to this other project. Then that way you're actually growing your business and you're addressing the needs and not and diversifying a little bit so you don't have all your eggs in one basket. You know, that's just one example that comes to mind of somebody that I know that's going through that. It's like, mm, okay, well, you can say, oh no, woe is me, or you can say, okay, well, we've got this new capacity. Who can we help? And it's a mindset thing in a lot of ways. Totally. Yes, that's a great example. So tell us about the book. Um, I always ask authors, why in the world would you give so much of your life to write a book? Because it's time consuming and editors and writing and long hours and all that. But you know what motivated you to write the book? <laughs> well, honestly, Michael, it was COVID. Uh, so we, um, again, we're a consulting company uh, and our business got a little quiet, like mid-March of 2020. And there were three weeks there where the phone didn't ring, uh, Contracts that were in uh, progress or in process stalled. Uh, and we, I started to get a little nervous. Like, how am I going to keep my team busy? So we had been um, pursuing a content marketing strategy uh, to um, build brand awareness, uh, to get our thought leadership out there to potential clients. And so I'd been writing, you know, two or three blogs a month to help with that and uh, had created a framework uh, that we use in our consulting engagements and thought that we actually had enough content that we could outline a book about the framework and, um, you know, include stories from client, um, both successes and failures. And so we started down that, that um, road and then business picked back up, uh, which was great, but it meant that we were you know, now trying to write a book on top of you know, our day jobs. Uh, but we uh, stuck with it. I told everyone I knew I was writing a book to hold myself accountable uh, and had a manuscript that was in pretty good shape uh, about 10 months later, January of 2021, and then it released in May. Uh, the title is Productize, uh, The Ultimate Guide to Turning Professional Services into Scalable Products. 
And it's really written to create um, or to provide a blueprint for organizations that want to go through this transition of going from services to products, most likely using technology. And perhaps they don't have a resources to hire a consulting firm like mine. And so they want to do it themselves. Um, or they just want to learn more about the approach and then perhaps bring in outside experts. So we kind of go step by step how we work with uh, organizations, what are some common pitfalls that we see, uh, and then provide stories and tools and templates that people can use to implement the idea themselves. One of the things I like about the book is the stories as well, because what that does is it helps potential clients or the people reading the book to say, well, that's a little bit like me. Okay, well, let me look at it this way. Because consultants, I'm one, sometimes if we don't completely understand that person's business, they can read that and then go, hmm, okay, do you really know what I do here? Where if you see some stories where they have peers, basically, that have gone through this exercise, they're where they were, and now they're doing something else, and they've you know, made that shift from not just being a service provider, but also provide products. It it opens up the door. And you know, going back to my COVID conversation about asking customers what they need right now, in many cases that created new lines of business for some companies where they didn't necessarily have that before and before COVID may not have been on their radar. Maybe it was something they thought about, oh, look at that, maybe 2026, 2027. Well, 2020 got here and well, they thought, well, let's try something else. And what it's done is it's created some opportunities for growth. Uh, The public speaking industry, for example, when I talk to event planners, because I speak at conferences, I told them, do not turn off the Zoom option for your speakers or your audience. So especially the audience component to it, because you can actually increase the capacity of people that are paying to attend your event. Okay, yes, maybe they pay a couple hundred dollars less to attend if they're doing it virtually. Well, it saves you on the stale croissants and the bad coffee. You don't have to worry about that for so many people, but you've just increased the capacity of viewers, which means you can pass on some of those revenue dollars to bring in you know, speakers and, and add more programs and services to what you offer. So it, tragedy creates opportunity. A good colleague of mine you know, has used that phrase more than once, but you know, obviously this you know, pandemic has been, been very tragic, but um, there have been some opportunities for organizations to look for additional ways to serve their customers, solve problems, and address some needs before it becomes a big problem for those companies. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's why we've been so busy um, in our consulting practice as well, because um, certainly digitization uh, uh, took a, um, a, fr- a front seat, a uh, front row seat in COVID. And so many organizations were caught flat-footed uh, and just hadn't developed a strategy on how to fully digitize, hadn't thought through like how they need to um, adapt, as you're pointing out, the additional opportunities that come with it. Like it's, you know, it's not just a, um, a crisis, but it's also an opportunity. Uh, yeah, we, we, we've seen the same thing. And um, the research shows that 
innovation flourishes in times of crisis uh, because you're usually constrained. Uh, and when you have constraints, you have to be more creative around how to deal with those constraints versus in times when you have unlimited resources, um, you're actually less innovative and less creative. Uh, so yeah, there's, that's a big silver lining to what we've, we've been through almost the last two years. Yes, the pressure cooker sometimes gets you to motivate yourself to do some things and not, well, we'll get to this next week or well, let's talk about this at the next meeting. And sometimes, like, no, if we don't do this, there may not be a next meeting other than, okay, um, pink slips and all kinds of other things, which uh, is a very, very difficult situation to be through. I've been on both sides of that, and uh, it's never fun uh, to be dealing with it, no matter what the situation is. So uh, one other question before we wrap up, you know, where do you see things going on? This is, I'm not asking for the five-year prediction, but as organizations have been moving more towards the digitization of a lot of things, do you anticipate that it's going to be one of those things where the pendulum is going to swing really sharp one direction for digitalizing everything, but then there's going to be a need for the more humanistic in-person type of situation? You think it's going to kind of be at a, a bit of a hybrid at some point, or do you think that? I think it's already there. I mean, okay. I, th I think we're already, so we like to get our clients thinking in terms of solutions uh, and solutions can be part product. Um, they can be part customized services. Uh, they can be part something else, but again, it gets back to like, how do I solve your urgent and expensive problem, Michael? And um you will buy from me if we have a relationship, right? If you know, like, and trust my brand. Uh, and that's going to involve some kind of um, human touch. And it, it you know, may not be one-to-one. -one. It could be one-to-many. But um, there's still, um, you know, it's still people making those purchase decisions, you know, people buying from people. Um, and you may have some very specific needs where you need, um, something bespoke, something customized to help you unlock the value um, of my product. Uh, so there may be some advisory component that I need to give you in addition to giving you access to my portal or my, you know, always on data set or whatever it is, you know, selling you my book, right? You may want to you buy the book as a product, you buy the book, and then you want to have a, a conversation about it. Um, so I think, I think we're already there. And even if those conversations are happening over Zoom, um, it's still, in my mind, a, a hybrid uh, where it's, you know, part people, part technology, or part service, part product. Yeah, I've seen that too. And I think that's where it'll be. And from time to time, um, in person across the table, I think is something that you'll see again, depending on locale, but again, with the technology, you know, another positive thing is you may be a local company, but now because you're more tech savvy and have technology in place to serve, you can serve anybody pretty much anywhere as long as they have an internet connection. And I think that bodes well for uh, companies' growth, uh, both you know now and, and down the road. So loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you, your book, and all this awesome work you do? 
Yeah. So um, the book is available on Amazon or wherever you like to buy your books. And again, it's called Product Ties. Uh, and then my firm is Vectris. Uh, that's V-E-C-T-E-R-I-S dot com. Uh, and I'm also on LinkedIn under uh, Aisha Tierney Armstrong. Uh, so happy to connect with people, talk about my book, give you feedback on your ideas. Um, but this has been great, Michael. I've really appreciated the conversation and you having me on. Well, thank you so much. And I'll definitely have all that information in the show notes. So thank you again for being on the show. Really appreciate you. And again, congratulations on the book. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.